Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Deeper Daily Podcast. It's the fifth day of June. This is Paul White thanking you for joining us as we get our week up and rolling here at the DDP, and we get a little deeper into the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. If you're reading along with us, following along, uh, grab your Bible and go to the 17th verse of Mark 10. This is where Jesus begins uh, counseling a man that we have called for a couple thousand years now, the rich young ruler. We don't know his name. Um, We don't know his background. We can't Um, really ascertain too much about him other than we know that he's young and we know that he's rich. And uh, several of the Gospels tell this story and it's why we have this information. Um, Matthew's version of this story calls him as much. And so we will sort of interpolate some of the things we know about this story from Matthew into the story as we learn it in the book of Mark. He was going out on the road. One came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And I want to add one more verse to that, verse 18. This is the beginning of Jesus' response. You can imagine we're not going to cover this entire story today because there are several things to say about this from several different angles. Verse 18, Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. So let's start with what we, we hear the young man say. Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And let's deal with the obvious things, but they are the things I think that trip us up. The obvious thing is that he wants to inherit eternal life, and he approaches Jesus as the source of that information, not Hear this. He doesn't approach Jesus as the source of eternal life. He approaches Jesus as the source of information regarding eternal life. He doesn't come to Jesus so that Jesus may give him eternal life. He doesn't come to Jesus as the source of eternal life in and of himself. But he does think that Jesus is smart, that he has wisdom, that he maybe he has the ear of God and therefore Having the ear of God, he himself has an ear towards God and therefore can give some sort of insider information upon the earth. He also wants to inherit, which is a very Jewish phrase. This is something we see Jesus say repeatedly um, about inheriting the kingdom. How do you inherit the kingdom? This is something that Paul will use repeatedly. Um, to talk about those who will or will not inherit the kingdom of God. An inheritance is something you do not earn. An inheritance is something you receive by virtue, most of the time by virtue of birth, but of course you can give someone an inheritance that doesn't belong in your family tree. You just decide you're going to do that. Go write it up, make it legal, and give them an inheritance. But in in an overall view, sort of an objective view of inheritance, is that it belongs to your children. So when you see this phrase pop up in the Bible, you're dealing with a familial verse, something that makes them part of the family. Sons and daughters get inheritances. The book of Hebrews will take this sort of to the nth degree by talking about uh, testaments. A testament is is a will, a last will and testament, and how we receive the testament because there's a death of the testator. In other words, the person by whom the testament is written, 
must die in order for everyone to receive what belongs to them in the inheritance. And so inheritance comes at the end of someone else's death or someone else's sacrifice. And so the young man doesn't say to Jesus, what do I need to do to work my way into, but what do I need to do to inherit? Which is very weird considering that what happens in the next few verses is a list of works. And you would think that if you come to Jesus asking about an inheritance, you wouldn't then try to tout how much you've done, which tells me that this young man represents, he represents a lot of things, but in one case he represents so many of us who come to the new covenant because of what we get in Christ, but we still offer God a payment of works. So we look at grace and we say, God is good. Wow, he has forgiven us. Jesus took all of our sins into himself on the cross. We get to receive his life. And we turn right around and say, okay, God, what does this cost me? What do I have to do? Now, I do believe there's a cost in following Jesus, but that is the cost of being a disciple. That is not the cost of being a son. There's no cost in being a son. You are an inheritor. Now, to follow Jesus, of course there's a cost because you're following Jesus in this, in this life and this life is not entirely compatible with your eternal life. And because of that, it's going to cost you some things along the way. It might cost you your reputation. It might cost you a friend. It might even cost you some family members. People don't want to, they don't want to go down the road you're going. And, and I, I, I don't want to push that too far um, because I think people abuse that. They, they start to justify all kinds of weird behavior and in which they're being ostracized and they go, well, it's just the price of following Christ. Sometimes you're just weird. Um, sometimes you've gotten yourself off into the weeds. Um, so yes, we, we have to pay attention. So I don't, I don't, again, I don't want to go too deep down that road, but there's a difference. And the difference is marked, a marked difference between um, discipleship and sonship. But as followers of Christ, we have both. The sonship part is yours by inheritance. Don't turn around having received your sonship in Christ and think that you can pay God back for his goodness. And you might say, well, I would never do that. I know I'm saved by grace, but you need to inventory your own life to make sure you're not still trying to earn favor. You're not trying to earn God's blessings. We do it a lot of times in the church when we hammer people with the tithe and to get them to give into our churches and our ministry, we tell them that if they give, God's going to give back to them. But if they don't, God's likely to abandon their finances. And we'll even say things like, we may not say it real pointed, but we throw these sort of curveballs at them and go, uh, well, you know, some of you are struggling financially, but you ain't tithed in so long, it's no wonder why. Well, what's that really saying? What it's saying is, is that you guys are not going to receive God's fullness until you give to God of yourself, and then God will give to you. That's not grace. So that you can't come into the eternal knowledge of how good God is and then start writing checks to keep favor. And I know I'm using a financial illustration, but we're in the Western world. Financial illustrations work because it's the most, it's the thing we think about the most. I mean, we created credit scores for Pete's sake so that we can give identity of whether people are good with money or not. That's a new invention. That's happened in your lifetime. Whoever you are listening to me, unless you're below the age of, say, 35, you know, that's a new way to identify you. So I'm using that for that purpose. So this young man 
has mixed signals. What must I do to inherit? You don't do to inherit. That's the first place to start. We're going to deal with good. Why Jesus goes, why do you call me good? Why does Jesus say this? We'll jump into this this week. See you then. Have a great day. God bless.